Um, no matter whether we're um, crossing uh, religions or whether we're um, just with people that um, we know, maybe in our family. Have you noticed that Christmas is um, getting more and more secular in the, in the malls? The mall's kind of the marketplace, isn't it? Uh, what's going on in the mall represents uh, pretty much across the board in, in society. Well, I, I reckon that we need to, to um, continue to um, take Christmas back. Have I got any, any people who agree with that, that we should be just forthright about who Jesus is and, and the reason for the season? Because actually, the, don't, I think don't fight um, the stories and the traditions that we've all grown up with. Let's enjoy that. And I want to say just a, a little bit more than that. But um, with that, let's take Christmas back and ask people around us, do you know the real reason for, for the season? Do you know why we're all celebrating? Do you know how it all began and started out? Uh, because I think as we do, we will find God will um, give us opportunities and we will see so much joy released into people's lives. Because the story about um, St. Nicholas, which is what um, the tree and the presents and the food is all based on. St. Nicholas was a young man who lost his parents. He was Greek. He lost his parents quite young. He lived on the coast of Turkey because, as you may know, all of the coastal area of Turkey and a lot of the inland as well was all Greek because the Greek army had been doing their thing for hundreds of years and, and it was all uh, Greek people there. And in Myrna, he actually became the bishop of Myrna, the episkopos of Myrna. He became the bishop at a relatively young age and um, he was extremely well liked because he was from a rich family, his parents died young, and he decided that he would do what Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler about and give all his money away of his family, money. And so he helped the poor. He blessed people. And there's a story that um, there was a, a poor family with three daughters and no money for dowry. And without a dowry, um, the chances of them being able to be married were very slim. Possibly they would end up in prostitution just because forced into, into um uh, money, making money in that way. And so he crept, we couldn't do this today, but apparently he crept up to the girls' bedrooms and reached in and threw three bags of gold into, each, uh, into the, the girls' bedrooms. And those bags of gold landed um, into where some socks were and some shoes were, and hence the Christmas sock tradition that took place. And his generosity, especially at, at the um, Christmas season time, um, just spread as a tradition across uh, much of Europe. And in, in Holland, um, the tradition was called, uh, I better look at the right name, um, Sinterklaas. Sinterklaas, which is a derivative of St. Nicholas. And the Dutch people in the 17th century took this tradition of the gift-giving and the food and the family to America, and Sinterklaas became Santa Claus. 
And then in 1930, Coca-Cola got a hold of it. And can we just go through? And Coca-Cola drew a... One of the marketing guys for Coca-Cola drew a picture of a fat man in a red suit drinking Coca-Cola, and it was incredibly successful. They sold a whole lot more, and Santa Claus began to become to live, uh, look like this. And, of course, the tradition is, is around the world today. But it's all based on St. Nicholas, which is based on a changed life through Jesus Christ. And the story of Jesus Christ is much more exciting than the story of Santa Claus. Now, in 2005, a Kiwi by the name of Chris Grantham um, translated the story of Jesus into the New Zealand idiom, and he wrote what's called the Kiwi Bible. And so I want to quote from that, that today. And the heading that he put on, on the Matthew 1, 18 to 25 was a different way of getting pregnant. The birth of this bloke, Jesus, sort of happened like this, he writes. A woman called Mary got pregnant, but it happened a bit differently. Mary's fiancé, Joseph, had nothing to do with it. It was arranged sort of direct by God. Now, Joe wasn't so sure about all of this being right and proper, and he was set to send Mary down the road uh, when, the, when the angel character turned up in a dream one night when Joe was packing a few Zs. This angel said, No worries, Joe. God wants you to marry this woman. This baby bloke has been planted there direct by God. No worries. Matter of fact, you're going to call him Jesus, and he's going to sort a few people out. Okay? So Joe woke up, he did, and he married Mary, but they didn't have it, excuse me, <laughs> Kiwi idiom, they didn't have it off until the little chap was born. <laughs> Meanwhile, down on the farm, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. Nearby, out in the neighboring paddocks, there was a crowd of farmhands on nighttime sheep-minding duties. And while they were half nodding off, an angel turned up. This made quite an impact. It got incredibly bright. This was clearly something God was involved with, and it scared the pants off them. The angel reassured them, No worries, you fellas. I've got some absolutely stunning news for you. Today, down the road in the town, this little nipper has been born. He's no ordinary kid. He's going to make life totally rock. Can you see he's God's special bloke? Because uh, you see he's God's special bloke. How do you know this is for real? Well, check out these details. He'll be dressed in the typical baby stuff, but he'll be parked in a feeding box rather than your standard bassinet. And suddenly, this humongous bunch of angels turned up alongside the original lone angel. Every one of them was enthusiastic. Wow, God's just fantastic, they said. And around this place, we trust you'll all have a happy Christmas, as it were. And when the angel had taken off again, the farmhands had a yarn. How about we head off down to Bethlehem, and then we can see for ourselves this special kid God's rep just told us about. And everyone agreed, and they took to their heels. Sure as, they found Mary and Joe and the wee bloke in the feeding box, and they spread the news around their mates, among their mates. And everyone was pretty well blown away by all accounts. As for Mary, the kid's mum, she was um, stoked by all of this, and she kept chewing it over for a good while afterwards. 
And the, and the farmhands, well, they went back to work, enthusiastically telling God how great they reckoned he was because of all the stuff they'd seen. And what's more, it was, a word, it was word for word, frame by frame, exactly what they'd been told to expect. And then a little bit out of um, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, and it's titled, A Few Smart Blokes Come for a Look. Now, at this particular stage in history, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there was a guy called Herod who happened to be king. And one day, some smart researchers came wandering into town from some foreign parts. Where's this new mini king of the Jews, they asked. We saw his sign when we were studying the stars and stuff, and we've come to wet his head, as it were. And then I'm just going to leave uh, some out, just for time, and, and go down a bit further, where it says, the smart blokes got on their camels, or got their camels on the road again, and they followed the star till they came to a dead halt. They were stoked. This must be it, they said. And they entered the house, and they saw the kid there with Mary, his mum. And they got down on their benders and worshipped the wee bloke. Then they opened the presents they'd brought along. A good heap of cash, some flash perfume, and some high-quality, reputable medicinal stuff. That's pretty Kiwi, isn't it? Sure enough, no worries. You know, um, Jesus was going to come and sort a few people out. Sort a few blokes out. The NIV says he was going to come and be our saviour. So how good is Jesus? I mean, when you stop and think about it, how good is Jesus? He's the one that said, let there be. And it went. And everything that has been made was made because of his words. Wow. He created the universe, and yet he was selfless enough and humble enough and caring enough and loving enough to become a finite created creature, limited in every single way. Just as Alvina and others amongst us here know with a little tiny baby. Philippians says he put off and he put off and he put off, like taking off a coat and then his jersey and then his shirt. He just put off his godhood. He put off his glory. He put off everything. He didn't stop being God, the scriptures tell us, but he put all of his power off till he finally reached this destitute, low, low, low state of a human being. It's amazing. And he started as an embryo. And then he was born. He went through that whole process, girls. He, 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 he did that. And just like every baby, he was totally helpless, totally dependent. He soiled his nappies. The God of the universe had to get them changed. He had to be fed. And his brain would have developed normally. So that for a fair period of time, just like any other earthly child, he couldn't talk. He didn't even know he was God. How vulnerable was he prepared to be for you and me, for us? All so that he could be completely human and be perfect and die for in, imperfect human beings. 
as it says there, to sort a few people out by becoming our saviour. It's actually preposterous to human thinking, as if God would really do that, become a human being and submit to years of living on this planet and then voluntarily allow himself to be tortured to death by, being, by beings that he had created, just so that he could save us. And that's why this story is so magical. And that's why in a few days' time on Christmas Eve, people who don't even know what it is that's drawing them are going to be looking for a carol service, a place to remember where the story might be told, because it's a, it is magical. Because as that truth gets down into a fresh heart or even an old heart who's known it for a long time, we find ourselves just sitting back and going, wow, really? Us? Really? You? Really? And it goes from here down to here to a new way. I pray that that'll happen for every single one of us. You know, we can really be on the front foot with people that we're talking with over this next, next weeks because it is real. Jesus is a real character in history. That's what's hit um, uh, Kathy, and she's been just sharing with us today. That's why I think the Holy Spirit prompted me to get her up to share that story today. You know, you've only got to go to Israel and you see his effect. He lived, this is a man who lived 2,000 years ago, who was killed and should have just disappeared into the back history, never to be seen again, of, of life. But he refused to stay dead. And he came center stage. And to, if you go to Israel, he's still the main attraction. That's what everyone from every country in the world, you don't hear English spoken all that much. The people that are there are speaking every other nation, uh, language of the world as well as people speaking English. And Jesus is still the main attraction. People are there to see where he was, to see things that come from his time period, to see what got built 300 years after he died, and the cathedrals, and, and it goes on and on and on. And it doesn't look anything like it looked when, when Jesus was actually there and being built uh, and, and living because it's been built on and they've flattened the tops of Mount of Hills and built, built the city on the top of hills because Jesus died here, so they built a church. There's a church over anywhere that might have a, a sig spiritual significance. <laughs> you, can't, you have to go there, close your eyes, and, and use your imagination to picture what it would be like. And there'll be scenes that will help you to be able to do that. And you can think, oh yeah, this was a paddock. Well, now it's this massive church. In fact, there's two churches right next door to each other, and there's quadrangles and but Jesus has caused all of this to happen because he's a real, he was a real human being who really lived on this planet. You know, scholars have researched every detail of his life, and there's a lot of new information that's come out in the last 30 years. If you look at Jesus' life from archaeology, the Bible accounts prove accurate history. They're still digging it up. One place that we went to, um, a guy had bought a section to build a new hotel. Well, he found, uh, as he dug in, um, he found that there was a synagogue underneath the land. Am I right, Alan and Chris? I think it was a synagogue there. And so he'd bought the section next door, 
and they'd excavated that one, and it's, it's a brand new excavation when we were there, and his hotel is right next door because they, there's just so much history. That there's thousands of years of history in this, in this place. Archaeology proves Jesus Christ. If you look at his life from eyewitness testimony, the Bible's accurate as well. Secular writers of his day back up his claims. Josephus, who was a non-Christian and never became a Christian, he was a Jew, he, sp- he wrote about the fact that Jesus had a virgin birth, that he did miracles, and that he rose from the dead. If you look at his life from prophecy, his life completely matched Over 300 prophecies in the Bible. It is impossible for that to happen unless it was planned by God. A mathematician, or various mathematicians, but the one that I'm quoting here, I'll I'll try and find his his name in a minute, Um, Professor Peter Stoner calculated that just eight prophecies being true of what uh, in Jesus, for them just to be randomly Um, fulfilled by someone accidentally doing it would be the equivalent of 10 to the power of 17. So that's 10 with 17 zeros behind it. He said to give you a visual picture of it, imagine dollar coins being put completely across the state of Texas, two feet deep, and one coin is marked. And then someone's told, go out and and with one go find the correct marked coin. It's, 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 it's impossible that Jesus could just randomly have fulfilled the prophecies. That's just eight of 300. Mathematically, for 16 prophecies to all be fulfilled, if you imagine those same coins starting at the earth, it would go out and fill out to the, to the um, orbit of Pluto. And not two-dimensional, but three-dimensional as a sphere. And one coin's marked. And for someone to, just by chance, fulfill the prophecies of Jesus, just 16 out of 300 would be like trying to find one coin out of that many coins. It's incredible, the reality of, of how real this is. You know, the virgin birth, this is vitally important because Jesus had to be sinless. And, and so there was, had to be no passing on of the defective sinful genes from a mix of a human father and a, and a mother. And so Jesus was a new prototype of human, untouched by fallen humanity. The Bible calls him the second man. The first man was Adam and, and his genealogy, which we're part of. But Jesus came as a brand new prototype. And, and people say, oh, virgin birth, you know. But what's so hard about that if God is involved? There's absolutely nothing hard for God to place an embryo into a, into a young girl and for her to bear that embryo. And you have to ask the question, or people do ask the question, could it possibly be a myth? And the answer is no. And it's no because there are myths of God, God's being born on the earth. But they're all vastly different. They're filled with lustful sexual encounters of God's having forced sex with human women. And the offsprings being half God and half man, what we would call superheroes, yet full of the same weaknesses and shortcomings and sins and and frustrations that we have. And the truth is no human being would be bright enough to be able to conceive the plan that God has conceived and outworked. 
And no human being would be bright enough to know that it would work. It would just be... But the realness of the Christmas story is in, is in its power to change lives. Can I get any agreement there? You know, I first experienced this when I was a teenager. I was 16 years of age, and I went with a friend to a Christmas Eve service in town, and um, Canon Bob Lowe retold the Christmas story. And I got drawn into him talking about Mary on the back of that donkey and the pregnancy and then Jesus being born. And suddenly, as I was listening to him, I realized this is true. And I went out of that building, that church on that night, with love in my heart that I did not have when I went in there. Lee Strobel became a, a, as a man who was a pastor and an author, but first of all, he was a journalist before that. And he worked for a paper in Chicago called The Tribune, the Chicago Tribune. He, he describes himself as being secular and cynical. He wasn't going to believe anything. And a big part of his coming to Christ was meeting a solo mum and her daughter. And he met them just after their house had burned down or their apartment had burned down and everything that they had was lost. So he did an article on them in the paper and then um, he went back to see them a couple of weeks later and he found that gen people's generosity had been overwhelming and they had been given everything that they might need. There was furniture, there was kitchen appliances, there was clothing, there was all sorts. And he went back on this two weeks later and it was just before Christmas. And you know what they were doing? They were wrapping up most of it and putting it as gifts to give away to others. And he said, what are you doing? What are you doing? You've got all this stuff. I got it for you. And they said, this is what Jesus would do. We're Christians. There are people that are much worse off than us. And he said he went out of that room thinking, I don't get it. If that was me, I would put all of that stuff away and I would keep it. But here are these women who say they know Jesus Christ and they are giving most of it away to people. And it became an incredible step in his journey to actually realizing God changes lives. Jesus is real. You know, the, the story of Christmas is something that we can talk to people about with real confidence because it is real. It is real. One last thing before I finish, and if the music team can come up, that would be great. I want to also encourage you to enjoy your friendships and to enjoy these next five to seven days around this Christmas season. Enjoy it. Jesus' coming is called the incarnation. It, it's, it means Emmanuel, God with us. And by him coming and being with us, he journeyed life with people. And it gives us permission to be able to journey life with people and to, to enjoy all of that things, to, all of that too. The Maori say, he tangata, he tangata, he tangata. It's the people, it's the people, it's the people. The story is real, but so are your friendships. So is your family. And the people matter. So don't just go away from here this morning thinking, yes, it's real, and I really feel good about it in my heart. You're also allowed to actually enjoy your food. There's no calories through this next seven days. <laughs> You're allowed to enjoy, the, as, as Alvina just reminded us, the, the people, the people, the fun, the cards, 
the water bombs that you might throw at the different ones. Here's a great present idea or just something to have in your back pocket, isn't it? It's about people and God wants us to enjoy it. And part of the enjoyment is going to start in a few minutes' time out there with coffee and people that you're going to be able to just chat to and say Merry Christmas to, hope you're doing okay and encourage them because that's part of what it's about. Can I say, as well as laughing and enjoyment, you might, want to, you might over Christmas end up crying with some people too because that's part of journeying and there may be situations where you will shed some tears. But maybe too, the purpose why Jesus came could be something that you will actually embrace. And that is to forgive people. The people that hurt us the most are the people that are the closest to us. That's why it hurts. I get so sad sometimes when I find uh, within, within pastoral work in the church, a mother who won't have anything to do with her child. She's building what happened in her to her from generation down, now into the next generation again. I get so sad when I find people in the church who are still holding grudges against someone else in the church that goes back 20, 25, 30, or longer years. Jesus came so that we can forgive. Maybe Christmas, as well as the enjoyment, is that you can actually put an olive branch out and forgive again. We're supposed to walk through life light, enjoying the journey, having fun. You can't do it if you've got rocks in the backpack. Maybe forgiveness is for one or two people in the church here today listening to me as well. Now, we're going to sing... But as we draw to a close, I would just want to speak to anyone here who's not a Christian yet. You're a not yet Christian. There's two responses for not yet Christians. You can be like the shepherds. You can say, let's go down and keep listening and find out some information about this because it's interesting. And if you're here like that, you're really welcome. You're really welcome. Keep coming back. We love having you here. And you can listen until it makes sense in your mind and your heart. And, and I hope you'll give your life to Jesus at that time. Or maybe as a non-Christian, you're more like the wise men. You already know it's true. And you have come today to the very presence of a little baby who has the power to transform your life and your future and your eternal destiny. And the next step for you is to start worshipping him. And to just... Start talking to him and saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I wonder if we could just have every head bowed and maybe there's someone here today who, who is like a wise man or a wise woman and, and God is knocking on your heart and today is your day. If you want to become a Christian today, if you want a brand new start in life, if you want, if you want the forgiveness that God gives to a human being where he takes all the yuck and gives us his fresh start, would you just raise your hand and I would love to lead you in a prayer of coming to know Jesus. Is there anyone here today who's ready at that stage? Okay, please look up.